0: Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. Back in the fall of 1990, I got a job at the church camp I grew up attending each summer. They were building new cabins down by the river and needed some unskilled labor. Having just graduated from college, I did what any sensible person with a new English degree would do. I jumped at the opportunity. I lived in a small and very campish apartment with a guy named Roy. Two years prior, the hottest book among the camp counselors had been 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. I can't remember whether Roy himself joined in that particular excitement, but it's enough for the purposes of this sermon to say that it's not impossible to imagine that he had. Roy was also a brilliant mechanic, and I think it may have been during one of our theological discussions while replacing the CV boots on my old Volkswagen Scirocco, when I expressed some discomfort with the emphasis so many of the camp's preachers put on saving young souls from hell. And to my surprise, Roy's grin outgrewed his muskrat-sized mustache and he said, You know, I've always thought that becoming a Christian so you'll go to heaven is like marrying for money. It's been 32 years since Roy said that to me. I couldn't tell you what I had for lunch yesterday or the point of my last sermon. But I can still see Roy wipe, wiping axle grease from his hands on a blue shop rag and saying, Becoming a Christian so you'll go to heaven's like marrying for money. I needed to fill out the context a bit into which Roy made this statement so that you could appreciate how beautifully strange it is that what he said aligned so closely with something a German mystic named Meister Eckhart said 700 years before. Meister Eckhart wrote, There are those among you who want to see God with the same eyes with which you see a cow, and to love God as you love a cow, for the milk and for the cheese. I kind of love this. A guy on a maintenance crew in a fundamentalist camp in Oklahoma came to essentially the same conclusion that a 13th century German heretical theologian did. That such wildly different people shared this insight makes it infinitely more interesting to me. Does it to you? I probably first heard the story of Jesus and the miraculous catch of fish told in Sunday school on a flannel graph board with little felt disciples in a little felt boat hauling in lots and lots of little felt fish. But something fairly obvious had never occurred to me until I stumbled upon that Meister Eckhart quote this week, which of course brought Roy Reimer quickly to mind. Did it register for you that a bunch of first-century fishermen walked straight away from the milk and the cheese and the heaven, if you will, that God had just dumped from a net into their boat? Here's what I mean. Simon Peter was a fisherman, right? So what would the answered prayers of a fisherman look like? Well, they'd almost certainly look like a net full to bursting of fish. And before you look down on dear old Simon and his friends for their theological simplicity, consider this. How many sophisticated modern folks do you know who say they don't believe in prayer anymore because they asked God for a fish or cheese or heaven or healing and they didn't get it? For many, if not most of us, the definition of prayer, which can also define our relationship with God in an important way, might not have changed too much over the centuries, even if we've left prayer behind. But look at this story again. Simon's a fisherman, and after a terrible night fishing, Jesus steps into the boat and catches more fish than Simon and his friends know what to do with. And then what happens? Simon, Peter, walks away from the fishing life and into a life with Jesus. And as soon as he does, this most practical of miracles becomes beautifully useless. Christians talk a lot about unconditional love. But when we do, I sometimes think we have a kind of martyrdom in mind. We do something loving and the person we've done the loving thing to is Oblivious to it, or unappreciative of it, or outright rude about it, but because we've become enlightened and very Jesus-like saints, we take the abuse like the spiritual champs we are, or at least aspire to be. The problem with this is that it couches unconditional love in terms of being kind of insulated from the responses of the people we're actually trying to love, be they friends, or families, or enemies. But the lives that I look at with wonder and a prayer that mine might expand into one like theirs are the great relishers of this world. They're in love with it. They're infatuated with it. They're not impervious to a rude lack of reciprocity in the world's response to their loving. They're too busy being beside themselves in delight and fascination at the miracle that happens to be in front of them at the moment. Unconditional love is a love that's too busy pouring itself out on the world to wonder whether enough love comes back to it to be worth the effort. Unconditional love is its own reward. And it's a vibrant way of being alive in the world, not a grim Christian obligation. Which is why I've suddenly come to love the ridiculous story of Simon Peter and the fisherman in a whole new way. As he stumbles away from the catch of a lifetime, because he finds the one who caught it for him infinitely more captivating than the catch itself. Maybe Jesus told us to live out this way of love, because love is simply the way we were made to be alive in this world. And every time we slip back again into into calculating what we'll get back from the next loving thing we'll do, We're just living a much smaller and sadder and probably more resentful and unhappy life than the one our souls were made for. We're living much smaller and sadder lives than the ones that even the world, just as it is, when no miracles have been added to it at all, has the power to inspire if we just let it. In fact, there's one more thing that might be worth saying about the miracle on Lake Gennesaret. And that is... Not only were the fish suddenly worth next to nothing as soon as Peter got out of the business of fishing, they were also just ordinary fish. They weren't talking fish or fish with coins in their mouths. They were just the same fish that swam every day beneath the surface of that lake, unseen, unwondered at. At most, Jesus just got a few more of them than usual to assemble in one place. So that the jaws of Simon and his friends would drop drop open in wonder at something they saw every single day and fall in love with this Jesus and his love of this world of lakes filled with fishes and fishermen, and so much more worth wondering at than that. Richard Wilbur once imagined a world full of familiar things, but all turned upside down. What if, he wondered, The hills were the heavens, where star-nosed moles fly overhead the dead. What if the branches of trees were mines in the air, and sparrows burrowed in the sky? But once he'd rearranged everything, he wondered what it is about us that we need to make the world strange in order to really know it, or love it, or be astonished by it. To a praiseful eye, Wilbur asks. Should it not be enough of fresh and strange that trees grow green and moles can course in clay and sparrows sweep the ceiling of our day? If we love God or love this world or love each other only with a calculating, functional form of love, if we love them like a cow for their milk and cheese, or even for the hope of heaven when we die, are we not the ones most to be pitied? Are we not the ones missing out, spending our lives on petty calculations, on scarcity and resentments, when there is so much in this world that is plenty fresh and strange and ready for us to delight in and wonder at? Moles, sparrows, fishes, but especially the miracle of your life and the life of your neighbor. In fact, what in this world that is also broken and hurting might be healed and restored if we could simply look at the person next to us with an unconditional kind of love? Which is really just to see them for the wonder that they are. An infinitely greater wonder, I think Jesus was trying to say, than a few dozen fish, each one of them a miracle in its own right Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of Second and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.